Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about the Pope's recent trip to Thailand and Japan, which Jerry says is one for the history books. Then, the U.S. bishops asked Pope Francis to release the Vatican's report on former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. We'll talk about when we can expect that. Finally, the Pope visited the site of the first nativity scene this weekend, and we'll tell you why Pope Francis thinks that those are so important. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from snowy New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from uh, cloudy Rome. We've had some rain. You've been uh, recovering from a long trip to Thailand and Japan with the Pope. Um, So let's talk about that first up. Pope Francis visited Thailand from November 20th to 23rd, where he met with religious and government leaders, along with his second cousin, who is working as a missionary in Thailand. He also met with the Patriarch of the Buddhists in Thailand and visited the shrine of Thailand's only martyr saint. Jerry, you traveled with the Pope on this trip, and I was hoping, before we get into the specifics of the trip, that you could give us a sense of what the welcome was like for the Pope and the Vatican Press Corps there. Well, really, in Thailand, uh, they call it the land of, of smiles. Because people are smiling all the time at you, and uh, they really gave him a very, very friendly welcome. It's a very interesting country because it was never colonized. The people have always been welcoming, outgoing. And indeed, in his speech, the Pope uh, commented from the day Christianity arrived until today, they've had religious freedom. They, They have been welcomed. The people have not converted to Christianity, but they have embraced it and they are very appreciative of the schools and their hospitals. So Jerry, you mentioned that the atmosphere was really friendly throughout this trip. Uh, It was also familial in a way. The Pope spent a lot of this time with his second cousin, who uh, you mentioned when we chatted yesterday was the unofficial star of this trip. Can you tell me about the Pope's cousin and the role that she played? Well, she is his second cousin on his mother's side, uh, sister Rosa, Anna Rosa, and she went as a missionary to Thailand 50 years ago. But he's kept in touch with her. And even since he's been Pope, she's come to Rome to see him. And uh, she's uh, running, uh, she's involved in, in teaching in the schools. I think she's vice principal or principal in the school. And uh, she acted as his translator throughout. And he, when he got off the plane, the first thing he did was kiss her, even before greeting the government officials. Oh, that's sweet. And she walked beside him, and all the photos have of this woman who is quite a strong lady and uh, not at all afraid to speak her mind. And then there was one very funny moment when he went to see the king. Normally, she came with him as his translator, but normally... Those who visit the king bow to the king, but the king bowed to him also. Bowed to Pope Francis. Pope Francis. And then afterwards, when the Pope Francis left, she stayed on to talk with the king and, and for a few minutes. And so the Pope was waiting in the car for, for, her, for her to come out because the, <laughs> the king wanted to talk to her. Uh, but the big thing was the warmth of his relationship with the Buddhist leader. I think this came across very strongly in the country. Because uh, the the people are religious. The Buddhist leader is a very revered figure. And he and the Pope 
seemed to hit it off quite well. And you could see from the body language, from the smiles, from the, from the way uh, they, they reacted to each other, that it, it was, and this is very important for the relations within the country, but also for future working together of the religions. Right. The Pope um, talked a lot about religious freedom and this interreligious harmony, you know, especially as regards trying to work for peace together. Um, in his speeches throughout this trip to Thailand, he also uh, raised some social justice issues. I was wondering if you could tell us about those. Well, there were two particular ones. One, of course, was the question of the migrants. When John Paul II visited Thailand uh, years back, he, he went specifically out of his way to thank them for receiving the people from Indochina, from Vietnam, Cambodia, etc., who were suffering from persecution and they had to flee the, their countries. This time, Francis realized that people, many of them come from Myanmar, but also from Vietnam still and some other countries. And he, he emphasized the importance of reaching out to these brothers and sisters who are in this difficult moment in their life. So he, he emphasizes, he does constantly, the importance of welcoming the refugee, the migrant, integrating them, helping, cooperating with them, and respecting them. Right. These are these four points that we see him make over and over again. Exactly, exactly. And the second point he, he went, of course, was human trafficking, because we know that in Thailand, half of the, almost half of the people live in villages, in the rural areas. And many of them are very poor. And we know that sometimes they, they, their daughters are sold and uh, given. People come and say, we give your daughter a, a, a work when it's really human trafficking that they're into. And there's been a lot of this, a lot of young girls, young women suffering a lot, also young boys from this human trafficking. The Pope came out very strongly about it, and he complimented the government for their efforts to stop this. And of course, there's sex, sexual tourism, people who go there to have sexual encounters and bring a lot of disaster to families. And the, the Pope was really pushing on this, and he says the government is doing well, must continue to do more. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you about with this trip to Thailand is that um, on the Pope's last day there, he gave this talk to the country's missionaries where he was stressing the importance of making sure that the church has what he called a Thai face. Uh, he said Catholicism is very much seen as a foreign religion or a religion for foreigners living in Thailand. And so he wants it to be kind of inculturated into the Thai culture. I was wondering, you know, what would it mean to give Catholicism a Thai face? Pope Francis understands very well that if the gospel is to take root in the cultures of Asia, it has to find expression in the local languages, in the local style, in the local way of doing things. It cannot take root if it holds on to the Latin European way of expressing, way of doing things. You can read Jerry's full reporting from the Pope's trip to Thailand at americamagazine.org. After Thailand, the Pope visited Japan, where he had a packed schedule for three days, meeting with everyone from his fellow Jesuits to the emperor and survivors of the atomic bombings and the nuclear disaster at Fukushima. 
But the most anticipated visit of this trip was when the Pope went to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the only cities in the world that have ever been the victims of atomic bombings. The Pope met with survivors of the attacks in both places and reiterated his stance that the use of nuclear weapons is immoral and a crime against humanity, and that the mere possession of nuclear weapons is immoral. Jerry, I was hoping you could walk us through the scene at both of the bombing sites and tell us what happened. Nagasaki had two specific interests for him. One was the fact that it was the heartland of Catholicism in Japan. It was there that in that island Francis Xavier arrived 450 years ago, and it was in that island that you had the second bombing in 1945. Francis arrived, it was raining cats and dogs, really pouring down. There were about 200 people, everybody under umbrellas and in ponchos trying to protect themselves from the rain. He met two survivors of the bombing, came to him and gave him a wreath of flowers. He deposited the wreath very near where the epicenter of the bombing had happened. And he stood there in silence, the pouring rain. And he, he, you looked at his face and it was the camera zoned in on it. And it was there, seemed a long time, maybe one, two minutes, but it seemed a very long time. And he was almost crying at the end of it. Mm. There in Nagasaki, uh, I think maybe 40,000 people were killed. And after that, he gave his talk and where he spoke, especially about the possession of weapons, the development of weapons, the manufacturing of these nuclear weapons, they are not alone a risk for humanity, but they're also taking money from the poor, from resolving the problems of the world, from protecting the climate, the, the, the environment. The Japan Times summed it up very well. It says, Pope says, give the money to the poor, not to nukes. That's that's a really pithy way to, to sum up that speech. It was a very powerful speech. I read the text. I should just add that after that, he went to the martyr shrine. And that was where, almost 400 years ago, 26 Christians were crucified. And their crucifixion marked the beginning of a long period of persecution that lasted 200 years, more than 200 years. And the People did not have a priest because the foreign priests were, weren't allowed in and the other the ones who were there were killed and also the local ones. Right. This is why we talk about Nagasaki as being a place where Catholicism has historically been really strong. And this idea that, well, not idea, this fact that the church continued without priests, but because of the faith of the people is something that Francis finds very moving. Let's move on to talking about Hiroshima. What was the scene like there, Jay? The Pope arrived in the evening, the sun had set, it was dark, and we were in this park. And before he came, they were playing music, 1,500 people, including 20 survivors of the bombing. There was a, a kind of a arch piece of architecture behind it, a kind of like a... Uh, it's like a quarter of a dome almost, or half a yeah, dome. Yeah, it's like a... Yeah. Uh, but it is exactly under the spot where higher up in the seal in the sky, the the bomb exploded. So it's right under. The Pope arrived. He got enormous applause when he arrived. 
he walked down and the first thing he did was go and meet each one of the 20 survivors. And one woman really almost broke down in tears with him and he was comforting her. Then he went and he signed the visitor's book and then he announced one minute silence. And he stood there kind of in prayer and silence. The camera was on him and the gong sounded every 10 seconds. The atmosphere was, I cannot find words to describe it. The emotion, the sensation, there's something very, very special was happening. And then when it finished, the Pope read his speech, very strong, clear denunciation. And he, he described on the 6th of August, 1945, what happened in just one minute. 80,000 people were killed that day. 80,000. And many carried the scars, the trauma, well, for the rest of their lives, like the 20 people there. And he made this very clear. And then he's, he came out very strongly and he said, the use of atomic weapons is immoral and it is a crime. And he said the possession of atomic weapons is immoral. Now that second part was not in his written text that was given to the journalists. He added it there. On the plane coming back, he said, I'm putting this into the catechism as the teaching of the Catholic Church. Yeah, so he, he wants it to be official church teaching that, that the mere possession of nuclear weapons is immoral. Jerry, I want to go back to something that we talked about before the Pope left for this trip, which is that Pope Francis had visited Japan back in the 80s, and he really wanted to be a missionary there, but was unable to do so. And so this fulfillment, you see it as really the fulfillment of many of Francis's dreams. Um, and you're kind of telling me when you got back from the trip that you think this is going to be one for the history books. I was wondering if you could talk about why that is. Well, first of all, when he arrived in Japan, he went straight from the airport to the nunciature, the Vatican Embassy, and there he met the bishops. And he said to them, you know, that I wanted to come here as a, as a missionary, but they didn't allow me. So I had my vendetta. I sent five Argentine Jesuits to work here. And one of those was the translator and is now the provincial of Japan, the provincial of the Jesuits in the Japan. And he translated for the Pope throughout the trip. Then he said, a second thing he said, I was inspired as a young man by the heroic martyrdom of the Nagasaki martyrs, how they kept the faith and how the people for 200 years kept the faith without a priest. Thirdly, when he met the emperor of Japan, which he did the day after the Nagasaki Hiroshima visit, he told the emperor, he said, when I was a little boy, almost nine years old. I saw my mother and father cry, weeping, when they heard the news of the bombing of Hiroshima. And he said, that left a big impression on me. Yeah, it sounds like you think that this is, um, it's a trip for the history books because it has so much personal involvement and deep personal history for Francis. It's also because uh, the people could see that he empathized so much with them. He felt so much their suffering. The, the television cameras, he, he didn't need words for the look on his face, how he was reacting, how he reacted with the survivors. It was a message all on its own. He thought this was a terrible crime. 
that never should be repeated in history. Our readers can find the many stories that you filed from Japan at americamagazine.org. For our next story, the bishops of Pennsylvania and New Jersey have asked Pope Francis to release the results of the Vatican's investigation into former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. McCarrick was the first person ever to resign from the College of Cardinals over accusations of sexual abuse, and he had been active in two New Jersey dioceses. The bishops from Pennsylvania and New Jersey made this request during their meeting with Pope Francis on Thanksgiving Day, and that was part of the U.S. bishops' ongoing ad limina visit in Rome. Jerry, is it likely that the Vatican will release this report on McCarrick? And if so, when would we get it? Pope Francis wants the report on McCarrick to be published. It will come. I don't think there's time to do it before the end of the year. I think early next year we will have it. All right. We will keep you updated on when that report comes out here on Inside the Vatican and at americamagazine.org. For our last story, on Sunday, the first day of Advent, Pope Francis visited the northern Italian town of Greccio, where St. Francis of Assisi built the first nativity scene in the year 1223. I never knew that we had St. Francis to thank for nativity scenes. Um, The Pope has a bit of a cold right now, so someone read aloud a letter that he had written asking Christians to keep up this tradition of putting up nativity scenes in their homes. Jerry, why is this particular practice something that the Pope wanted to draw attention to and encourage people to continue? Pope Francis sees this as a way of communicating in a non-verbal way central truths of the Christian faith. He he believes this is a very powerful, and it has proved to be from eight centuries, it's a very easy way of getting across that God became man in situation of poverty and this is the one who will come at the end of history. And Francis felt that there is an tendency to stop doing this. There's also political pressure in some countries not to have cribs. Francis is saying, revive this, continue this tradition, or start this tradition if it hasn't a place in your area. All right. Well, I have my Advent wreath up, but I don't have a nativity scene, so I guess I'm going to have to get one. Um, Jerry, thanks so much for taking a chance to talk with us. I hope that you're recovering well from your trip, and we'll chat with you next week. Oh, it was a really uh, memorable, unforgettable event, and uh, I was delighted to be able to do it. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Lowshirt studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week.